to give up on following Jesus. At high school, uh, a man in my year became a Christian from a Hindu family, and he faced a lot of negative reactions. They felt he was rejecting not only his faith, but he was rejecting them and had brought shame on his family. And there were huge pressures brought to bear upon him. And he seemed to grow as a Christian for a while. And then when he went away to university, he seemed to drift away from his original commitment to Christ. He followed the wishes of his parents in an arranged marriage. And I don't know what happened to him. I've lost contact. I don't know the end of the story. Hopefully one day I might. But I wonder, have you ever been tempted to give up? Uh, I think the hardest place to be a Christian is a teenager in high school. The pressures that are put upon you, the expectations to conform, it's just much easier to fit in with the crowd. Have you thought, well, it's just too much hassle, too much bother to follow Christ? Maybe as time has gone on, you've had connections with a local church that has actually been very disappointing to you. You've not been treated well. You've seen discouraging things. You've discovered that Christians really are still sinners as well. And it's left you disheartened. Or maybe pursuing other goals or another, another relationship has just seemed more attractive to you than, than following Christ. Perhaps it's just become too costly to follow Jesus. Uh, you're receiving opposition. You're receiving mockery. You don't like that sense of being out of step with the culture. It makes you feel awkward, too uncomfortable. And there are different times that can come in a Christian's life where they come to a crossroads and there's a big decision to make. Do I keep heading down the road following Christ, towards Christ, or do I take another route that takes me away from Christ? Well, if you're at that crossroads today and you're thinking about this decision, what would God have to say to you? Well, please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, and you'll find this on page 1,208, 1,208. I'm going to read from verse 26. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, just put your hand up, and um, the stewards will bring you one. Just keep your hand in the air if you don't have a Bible. But turn up Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. Um, while you looked that up, let me just do a little recap. We, we saw last week that we're in the application bit of the letter. Um, from verse 19 to 21, we have a great summary of the, of the five chapters that have come before. That we can now have great confidence to approach God because of Jesus Christ. His superior sacrifice in the past where his blood was shed on the cross. And his superior priesthood in the present are the grounds by which we can have confidence to enter the presence of a holy God. 
And we saw three great encouragements of application off the back of that, of how to respond in verses 22 to 25. Verse 22, let us draw near to God through faith. Verse 23, let us hold on to the hope we profess. And thirdly, let us spur one another on to love. Those three great applications of the Christian life, faith, hope, and love. And now as we come to verse 26, we're going to learn why this response is so important. Why it's really vital that we follow through on these encouragements. So let me read these verses. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who was treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. This is God's word. Now, the writer is a very wise pastor. He gives both a stark warning as well as warm-hearted encouragement. You see, if we only ever hear encouragements, there is the danger that we become complacent. And if we only ever hear warnings, 
uh, there is the danger that we give in to despair. And so we need both encouragements and the warning to stay on the right path. And that's exactly what we have here in two sections, a warning and an encouragement. So let's hear the warning first in verses 26 to 31. Don't reject God's son. I don't know whether you've seen cigarette uh, packets these days, but the graphic um, pictures on them have just, uh, the, the nice glossy things have gone. Now they've got these horrific pictures of diseased and bleeding cancerous lungs. Now why have they done that? Um, it's a bit scary. It's not very nice. It's frightening to see those pictures. Why have they done that? Well, because the reality of having a diseased and cancerous lung and mouth is far worse than the pictures. They've done it to alarm you. They've done it to cause you to think very seriously about spending your lifetime smoking cigarettes. Now, here's a statement, uh, really, of perhaps the sternest warning in the book of Hebrews. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now listen carefully to what is actually being said here. When he talks of deliberately sinning, it is a specific sin that he's addressing. And it is the sin of rejecting God's Son, Jesus Christ. This side of heaven, every Christian is both at the same time justified and yet still a sinner, still prone to sin. And that's why just as we start the Christian life with repentance towards God and and faith in Jesus Christ to deal with our sin, uh, we who want to keep following Christ know that day by day we keep repenting of our sin and turning to trust in that sacrifice that, um, and the forgiveness that Jesus has made possible through his death on the cross. So in a sense, that's part of the Christian story. But here is a warning to the person who has begun to understand the good news about Jesus uh, they have received uh, the knowledge of the truth, to use that language of verse 26. And yet, after understanding, they choose to deliberately reject him. And the language of verse 29 makes this clear, because you've got this reminder to them of the, of the penalty under the old covenant, of the Mosaic law of those who chose to worship false gods and idols. Under the old covenant, they deserved death, physical death. So in your judgment, if that was the old covenant, and now we've got to the better uh, covenant, the new covenant, in, in your judgment, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished when they have well, look at that phrase in verse 29. Trampled the Son of God underfoot. It's as if in, in, in their response 
to the Christian faith in their response to Jesus, they've actually pushed Jesus over and are stamping on him, trampling upon him by their rejection of the good news and the hope that is offered in the gospel. How much more severely do you think such a person will be judged? Now outside, uh, we serve tea and coffee before the start of services, and there's people who are handing out the good news newspaper. And uh, it's funny how people don't want good news these days. Uh, Some people take it, and uh, some people uh, take it and never read it and just shove it in a bin as they walk up the street. But imagine somebody uh, taking the good news newspaper, standing there, reading the whole thing, and then looking at you and ripping it up putting it on the floor, and then with their feet grinding it into the dirt. That is a very deliberate rejection, isn't it? They've made it abundantly clear what they think. And this is a warning to those who are beginning to head down that route of a deliberate rejection of what they know of Jesus Christ. It is to treat the sacrifice for his sins, his blood shed on the cross that is done to make us holy, to treat it as something utterly common and worthless. It is to insult the work of God's Spirit who applies this salvation to our lives. It is to insult the work of the Spirit in our lives. The fancy theological term for this is apostasy, a a turning away from Christ, a deliberate rejection. And, you know, that's the sin that uh, if you continue in, it's saying if you head down that route, no sacrifice for sins is left. That's entirely logical, isn't it? We've had five chapters of of telling us that... um, God has has made it possible for us as as guilty sinners to be made right with God. And there's only one way, and it is to come through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, his blood shed for us. And if we've rejected that blood sacrifice, if we've rejected this Jesus, there is no hope left for us. There is no other sacrifice for sins. There is no hope. We will face a holy God as enemies, as sinners deserving his judgment. Not only are we facing him as sinners who are already standing in condemnation, but we're doubly condemned for we have seen the salvation he offered and we've repudiated it, we've stamped on it, we've ignored it, we've insulted it. How much more severely do we deserve to be judged if that is our response to the gospel? I mean, we've seen how dreadful a thing it is to fall into the hands of enemies with nerve agents. Can there be any doubt of how serious it is to be an enemy of God? It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God as his enemy. Don't reject God's Son. And I say to every one of you, if I had the time, I'd go and look you all in the eyeballs individually. You are personally accountable for how you respond to Jesus Christ. 
In my prayers this week, I've been specifically thinking of, of those children who've grown up as members of this church. You've had a great privilege. You've been dragged along Sunday by Sunday. You've had faithful Sunday school teachers. You've sat in, in, in youth groups. You've heard the gospel. You've been dragged to this church. You've heard the gospel. You know what it is. My friends, do not be one of those who's heard and understood it and walks away from Christ. He is our only hope. Now there's the warning. You know, I know it raises all those questions. Can a Christian lose their salvation? And the answer to the Bible is, don't walk away from Christ. How far can I walk away from Christ before I lose my salvation? The answer is, don't try. Don't. Reject God's Son. But I want us to see the wonderful encouragement here too in verses 32 to 39. Do persevere to receive what is promised. The way he encourages them is, is kind of a bit surprising. He starts by reminding them of how tough things were in the past. That's a funny sort of encouragement, isn't it? Are you thinking about giving up on Christ? Don't give up on Christ. Remember how tough it was in the past. But that's what he does. Verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you had endured in a great conflict full of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. So he says, remember those early days when you became Christians. In the first century, there were different pockets of persecution that the churches faced. And it appears that this was so for this, this church that this letter was written to. No sooner had they become Christians, no sooner had they received the light, as it says there, they were put through the crucible of conflict and suffering. It involved public ridicule for their faith. It involved physical violence against them. It involved, for some of them, being put into prison. Others having their property forcibly confiscated, taken away from them. And yet these worst of times, he reminds them, were in some ways the best of times. They had endured those great days of conflict and suffering. It was tough, but they were resilient. Their faith was strengthened by their stand against the opposition. They, they proved that they were the real deal. They did not turn away. They were not daunted. They were not defeated by these difficult days. And guess what? They also experienced an extraordinary loving community in those days. This suffering had brought them together. People were not left isolated in their suffering, but the brothers and sisters gathered around them. They stood side by side with them. They identified with them in their hardships and their pain. You know, in those times uh, when you went to prison, they didn't provide food for you. You needed people to come into prison, identify with you as a prisoner, and bring you food. Otherwise, you weren't going to eat. And that identified you with them. Great bravery to go into prison. 
great bravery to, to bring food. And they were unashamed to do that. What love they experienced as a Christian church at that time. And amazingly, they experienced great joy. Is it normal when people take your things to be joyful? I suggest to you it is not. What explains that joy, that deep spiritual joy? Verse 32, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. People can take your possessions away from you as a Christian. They can take your liberty away from you and throw you into prison. They can actually take your life from you, but they can never take Christ from you. And when you know that, you can be insanely happy that you've got the most precious thing. If you've got Christ, you've got everything you need. And he reminds them of those times. Remember, remember when you had that deep confidence, you endured that great conflict. So don't throw away your confidence now. It will be richly rewarded. They were on the certain road that leads to the Lord Jesus Christ that ends up in receiving an eternal inheritance. And so now be encouraged, he says, just as they had in the past endured, they, they can persevere along this road and they can do the will of God just as Jesus did and they will certainly receive what was promised by God. There's a, there's a new Discipleship Explored course that's come out. I'm looking forward to uh, working through it at some stage. And in it, Barry Cooper tells the story of the man, I think he's taken it from a, a great preacher of old, uh, tells the story of a man who's on a journey to inherit a vast fortune. He just has to arrive there and he inherits his vast fortune. And um, with a sort of two miles to go, the vehicle he's traveling in breaks down. And he has to walk those last two miles. Now, can you imagine coming across that fellow and all he's doing is grumbling and whinging and he's standing there going, oh, I'm not sure whether I can be bothered. What would you say to that person? Don't be a fool. Persevere. You're nearly there. There's a great inheritance in front of you. You just need to keep pressing on. And then the writer quotes from the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk was a, a prophet in the late 7th century before Christ. And he was distressed by the godlessness and the disobedience he saw amongst God's people around him and in the nations. And he cries out to God for his help. I think we're going to preach Habakkuk in the evening series. Adam's going to do this. Is that right, Adam? Yeah. Well, essentially the reply is, to Habakkuk, he needs to be patient. God is going to act, and there's going to be tough days to go through. But God's righteous people live by faith, trusting that God will one day vindicate his word and fulfill his promises, and that God's enemies would be overthrown, and that people would know God as their Savior. And so the certainty that, that God would come and bring us about enabled Habakkuk to say, even if things get worse than they are now, 
Even if the fig tree does not blossom, if there's no grapes on the vine, if there's no sheep in the sheepfold, no cattle uh, in the cattle stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. That is how the, the righteous respond in times of affliction and difficulty. They live by faith and not by sight. Is it tough right now? Don't shrink back, but persevere through faith, knowing that that is the way you will experience this salvation. Hope City Church, I find it hard to look at you. I get emotional. But I'm excited for you. Starting at a new location. You've been in beta mode, you're going into full I don't understand software anyway. You're heading to the next phase. And I want to say to you, don't throw away your confidence in Christ. I think you're going to have some very joyful days, but you're also going to know some tough days. Don't throw away your confidence in Christ. There are sadly churches and denominations that have lost their confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've lost their confidence in the word of God. They're doing very strange things. They're inviting strange people to come who are casting doubt on the deity of Christ, on the necessity of his atonement. Do not throw away your confidence in Christ. It will be richly rewarded. And perhaps there are people here this morning and you're finding it tough as a Christian and you're tempted to talk away from Christ. Well, hear the warning. To turn away from Christ is to walk away from the only way of salvation. Hear the encouragement. He's kept you this far. He's brought you through difficult days, has he not? He can keep you in the days ahead. And it will be richly rewarded. There's a great inheritance in front of you if you persevere down this road towards Christ. There's an eternal relationship with the God of glory. Reunited with all who've trusted him, who've gone ahead of us. There's resurrection life beyond the grave. Persevere. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Let's pray.